Hi, this is Reverend Amelia Richardson-Dress, Minister for Community Faith Formation here at United Church of Christ, Longmont, and you're listening to, in other words, talking to kids about the stuff that matters. This is a podcast that I do periodically in eight-week series to help unpack some of the hard things in parenting. We're on week two of this current series, and last week I talked to Reverend Elsa Cook about grief in families. We talked about parenting while grieving, but also about childhood grief. Elsa has been on both sides of that experience, and her wisdom and her willingness to share was a gift. One of the crucial things that came up in that interview is the overarching idea that grief needs space. For Elsa, that space came in church because there was a community there that knew how to grieve. They had practiced it, grieving with each other over the years and by having all of the centuries of ritual and practices that can help people grieve. Many churches celebrated All Saints Day on Sunday, as we did here at UCC Longmont, and that is one of those important rituals. But I appreciate also the celebration of Dia de los Muertos in Hispanic culture for the same reason, and also the Jewish tradition of saying the Mourner's Kaddish, which is a special prayer that's said for almost a year after a person dies. And I'm sure that other religious and secular traditions have meaningful ways of remembering and observing times of grief as well. So one of the most important pieces of advice that I could give about grief and parenting and children is to find the thing that makes space for that for you in a meaningful way. I think that the death of a loved one is hard for anyone, but it is especially challenging for parents to make space for grief. Raising little people is time intensive on its own. And then when you add in something as consuming as grieving, I think it's absolutely overwhelming. On top of that, it's easy to feel like you're letting your kids down, either because you're sad or because you can't be present in the same way you used to be. Or uh, if you power through and you do all the parenting things the way that you used to and you never let them know that you are sad, you might feel better about your parenting and the life that you're providing for them, but then you're going to feel like you're letting yourself down because you're not able to really experience the sadness. Uh, I think the other thing that comes up is that you can feel like you're betraying your dead loved one because you're not sad enough. And so I think in those moments, it's just really important to find company in the grieving process in some way. Another one of the things that Elsa and I talked about was the many beautiful ways that the church supported her after her mom died. And it's been my experience too that church communities know how to grieve and they know how to support each other. One of the Bible passages that I love is rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. And I came to love it because I saw in action. When we do this well, we learn to practice grief and joy at the same time within a community. And I think that's helpful because that's actually how it often is even in our individual lives. There's a beautiful complexity in balancing the fact that there are reasons for joy even amidst our grief and that there are tinges of sadness even in our happy times. But I do know that there are some people who have experienced church as a place that wasn't helpful in their grief. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Usually when that happens, it's related to a sense of pressure to move beyond the grief more quickly, either because people of faith should be able to find consolation that their loved one is now in heaven, or because we should be praising God all the time, and so there's no room for grief. And sometimes even if that's not a message that we are getting from others, it's something that we do to ourselves because we're expecting ourselves not to feel sad, like we should know better. Or we should just be able to feel grateful for the time that we had. Or we should just be able to trust God more. 
In the 1980s, a psychologist and a Buddhist, John Wellwood, coined the term spiritual bypass to talk about this unhealthy aspect of spirituality. That although it can be a great source of comfort, it becomes unhealthy when we use it to sidestep the hard parts of life. So I want to suggest a different way of looking at grief. That when we're actively making space for it in our lives, we're not denying God's goodness and we're not overlooking the possibilities for joy in life. We're not even forgetting that our tradition holds that life is somehow bigger than just this life. What we're actually saying when we make space for sadness within a faith community or within our family is that God is big enough to stand with us in the grief. I even think there's a way of seeing sadness and grief as a way of honoring God because we're recognizing that a piece of God's handiwork is missing from our lives now. So I say that to provide a sense of encouragement. If you are struggling with reconciling the grief that you are feeling with your faith. And I also say that as sort of a cautionary note, if you are helping somebody through grief, that we do want to avoid the cliches that might pressure somebody to move through grief faster than they're really ready. And I think we do especially have to pay attention to that with children. Because in our desire to comfort them, it's easy to accidentally squash their emotions. And so we might be trying to be encouraging by reminding them that God is everywhere. And so even if their loved one died, God is with them and is holding them. But that's a complicated thing for adults to work through. And so we have to be especially careful with how we present that to children. We want to be sure that we are allowing space for their grief, even when we are comforting them in it. So the question could be, is it ever okay to talk about heaven or life after death? or however uh, you express that belief with our kids? And the answer is absolutely. In fact, I think that not to do that would be to overlook one of the great comforts of our religious tradition. And I think that's true no matter how you personally understand life after death. It's just that we need to do it within the wider framework of our lives, not as a quick fix to a hard situation. So one way to do this is to be sure that you're talking about your beliefs well before there's a death in the family. Observe All Saints Day and use it as an opportunity to share what you believe about eternal life. Easter, of course, offers that opportunity again. I also think that any personal remembrance uh, the birthday of a loved one who has died, an anniversary, a holiday that has meaning in your family. When those come around every year, make the time to remember the person who died. And also because the grief is less fresh in those moments, it's a good time to revisit what it is that you believe and to share that with your kids, even if that's just in a brief comment. Like, I still miss my mom, but it helps me to remember that she's with God. And as that groundwork and that foundation is laid, then it's easier to tap in to the comfort that that provides when grief is fresh without that comfort feeling empty or stale or like you're squashing somebody's emotions because you're really reminding them of something that they already know because you've already talked about it. The other thing to look out for is just ages and stages of kids as opportunities to talk about life and death and life after death. Overall, kids are less nervous about talking about life after death than adults are. And also most kids go through a stage, usually around fourth or fifth grade, where they're fascinated with this question and especially with ghost stories. So that's a great way 
to deepen the conversation and to ask what it is that they think really happens after someone dies and then share your beliefs with them. And if you're not exactly sure, that's fine too, but at least share what it is you do know or what it is you are thinking about right now, which might be as simple as God's love connects us even after we die. And I don't know what that looks like, but I really believe that God's love holds each and every one of us. So for example, I heard somebody say recently at a funeral, you know, I'm sad too, but it helps me to remember a little bit that we'll see grandpa again in heaven. And it was kind of the perfect gentle way of saying this is where I'm finding comfort without squashing the child's need to just cry and be sad that they're not seeing grandpa right then and right there. One thing that I have said in my family is when I really miss somebody, it helps me to picture God's love like a bubble surrounding all of us, even the people who have died. I also think family prayer rituals are a really important way to give kids the words of faith that are going to be a comfort to them someday. We don't often memorize scripture or creeds anymore, and in some ways that's too bad because sometimes those ancient words are the things that get us through the hard times. Even, even at secular funerals, people often request Psalm 23, so that's a great one to memorize. A friend of mine often takes great comfort in Romans 14.8, which is, If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There's an old catechism coming out of the Calvinist tradition called the Heidelberg Catechism that I had to look at and study in seminary, and much of it I have let go of. <laughs> but the first question, which is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to Jesus Christ. Uh, for whatever reason, that has stuck with me. And so in times of grief or even in anxious times, that phrase and that sentiment is one that will bubble up again for me and provide comfort. So I do think there is also some value just in authentically memorizing some things that may be helpful in times of grief. It's often in those times when we don't have our own words. And so being anchored in the words of scripture or the words of tradition is really meaningful. And when we do that, what we're really doing is giving kids a foundation or giving ourselves a foundation that we can return to. I never knew that the Heidelberg catechism would become important to me. It was something that I had to look at and it stuck with me in surprising ways and became something that I turned to for comfort. So there's a way of looking at kind of what we lay out for kids like a banquet so that when they come into these hard times, they can pick up the thing that they need. And even though it's challenging to figure out how to expose kids to scripture or Bible readings or how to make space for uh, things to get memorized now that we don't do memorization drills, it may be an idea worth playing around with and seeing if there's some way that you can incorporate some of these words and phrases and ideas into your daily, weekly, monthly family practices so that they become something that are part of a kid's fabric of life. And then when they need them, they're there for them. So those are kind of a few of the ideas that I have around helping a child through grief as well as grieving yourself while you are parenting. So up on the UCC Longmont Faith and Families blog later this week, I'll have a list of rituals for grief and some ways to help children through grief. Uh, next week, we're going to continue this conversation about death and grief 
in families with an interview with Amanda Meyer, who is the project coordinator for the Conversation Project in Boulder County. In that interview, we're going to get to dive a little more deeply into helping kids and families process death. And we're also going to think a little bit more deeply about end-of-life planning for people with children in the house, because that looks a little different than if you no longer have children in the house or you never had children in the first place. I know that'll be a great interview and a wonderful resource as well. And as always, I look forward to hearing how these ideas resonate with you, what works for you in your family. Thanks for listening. Thank you.